Welcome to the Pictures of Lily podcast. I'm your host, Lily Moayeri. I have been a music journalist since 1992, and I interview a lot of music-related people. This podcast, which is named after the song by The Who, is about my experiences behind the story, what my experience is doing the interviews, just to give you a snapshot of what it's like on the other side of the digital recorder. Pictures of Lily. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. This is episode 73. We publish monthly with a new episode posting on the second Wednesday of each month. You can find us on every platform by going to picturesoflily.com, where you can subscribe or follow us and also connect to us on Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, Pandora, and Amazon. Although it's really best to listen to the podcast straight from the source at picturesoflily.com, as it is the highest quality audio and avoids copyright restrictions. This episode is on my one-time experience with Christine and the Queens. Here are a few snapshots of my experience with Christine and the Queens. My first exposure to Christine and the Queens was through the Peabody award-winning series from Pam Adlon, Better Things. If you aren't aware of this show or you've heard of it but haven't pressed play on it yet, then please take my advice and immediately put it on your watch list. It's an FX show and is available through Hulu in the US. I'm not sure how to access it elsewhere, but I know it's available internationally. In the season two finale episode, Pam Adlon, her two younger children and their grandmother recreate the video for Christine and the Queens' song Tilted as a surprise for her eldest daughter's birthday. I had no idea what I was looking at or why the eldest daughter, Max, was so enraptured by this performance. Then Lawrence watched the episode and he instantly said, oh, that's so great. They're doing the video for the Christine and the Queen song. That still mystified me, so I looked up the video and I was hooked. The dance aspect of Christine and the Queen's music, I have to say, is my favorite part of his creative output. I also love the unique quality of his voice. This past April, I was invited by one of my oldest friends in the music industry, who is his publicist, to see Christine and the Queens play here in Los Angeles in between Coachella performances. We went to dinner beforehand to catch up, which made the evening that much better. Plus, he gave me some insights into where Christine and the Queens was at that particular point in time. The venue was packed with not simply fans, but acolytes, which amplified the energy in the room by a lot. I was hoping I would see a lot of dancing in the show, and I wasn't disappointed. It was like performance art. In the days following the show, I saw on Instagram that lots of people I knew had been there, including my editor at Flood Magazine. I pitched him a story on Christine and the Queens, and he was up for it. My friend who does his PR upped it to a digital cover story, which was great because there was a lot to talk about, and it would be my first cover for Flood. In the process of preparing for our interview, I watched so many Christine and the Queen's performances from so many locations over the course of so many years. At no point was I bored for even a second. No matter how many times I watched the same song being performed in different television studios and festival stages. I get lost in my thoughts and for hours of time And it's making me feel like I am not alone anymore To be honest 
We did the interview over Zoom when he was in Barcelona for Primavera Sound. He was staying right by the festival and I could hear the music from it faintly in the background. He was a little exhausted because that festival goes until morning and so it wasn't exactly quiet enough for him to sleep. What I noticed straight away was that he punctuates his sentences with French filler words and phrases like quoi, mais, and en fait. I know enough French to realize those didn't always make sense in the context of what he was saying, but that didn't make it any less endearing of a quirk. It's a lot more pleasant than hearing people say like and you know over and over. The first thing I brought up was how much his dancing affected me. This is what he told me about that. Dance functions at the core of everything. It's so intertwined with the theatrical expression in the body where it comes from. Every record is always, how am I going to move inside of it? The records redefine the relationship to the body. I literally shelter my humanity and I make a lot of sense of things through dance. It's part of the language that exceeds the words I rely on. Specifically about the new album, Paranoia, Angels, True Love, which is what our phone interview was pinned to, he said, This record, in particular, questioned me a lot about dance. It was kind of a hammer breaking all the certainties I had about everything. I had to think differently of dance, more extremely even, to go back to the core of why I was moving, to develop the notion of performance, of choreography, of perfection, and to think of angel bones, which was almost at first a question of immobility. The dancers who gave me the most emotions are the ones with imagination. They live the whole story and it puts so much intention in the body, so much vibration. There is very skilled choreography. If it's empty from the heart, it's just agitation to me. Do you want to spend the day Just stay in the water Just stay like the order Nothing hurts your skin the main topic that has been overshadowing Christine and the Queens is the passing of his mother in 2019 during the week in between Coachella's that year. He was here in Los Angeles and rushed back to France to be with his mother, but wasn't able to get there before she was gone. I'm having more and more experiences speaking to artists who have lost their parents. Losing my mother so long ago, I feel like an elder statesperson in this area. Losing my father five years ago, I feel the recency of a loss. I can't imagine having to deal with questions about something so personal, so close to a loss like that. Four years is not a long time when it comes to a death, particularly a parent's death. But he was very open about sharing with me, very generous. Even so, he did say, Around this record, I've been even wondering if I should talk because I could see myself having to revisit that pain, as yours, I'm sure, still very much is the heartbreak of my life. He started crying by the end of that sentence, but nothing changed as far as his stance or even reaching for a tissue. His tears just rolled down his face and he didn't wipe them away. It was a powerful thing to witness. Another thing he said at that time about his mother's passing was, I even felt energetically that she was leaving the plane, but I never felt she was gone either. I may have experienced the same thing with my parents, but I never articulated it the way he did. I definitely experienced this next thing he said, which was, I felt alone, but I had very strong dreams of her at the beginning, just after she died, where she was on the phone with me, just talking, and I was like, that's a sign that we're going to keep talking. And every day I speak to her. But it's faith also, this lonely road where you have to also listen to your heart. You sound insane to some, and to some, suddenly you find a community of people who understand. I connected deep with people who lost parents and experienced the same thing. I was wondering if it was good to talk, but then I always want to defend the music and make it heard and understood. So I did it, but yeah, I can't lie to you. It's hard. I'm starting to rehearse the song and it's already something. My art saves me in a way, gives me structure and my bones. 
makes me want to live for the next day. That's what the art is for. It was only after his mother's passing that Christine and the Queens began genderizing himself as a man. When I was prepping for our interview, I read an article on him in The Guardian from November 2022, around the time of the album Before Paranoia, where he told the journalist Miranda Sawyer, When my mother was alive, I think I had to be a daughter for her. And by the way, I loved her, so I was not super mad about this. But there was a huge chunk of me that did not even connect, I think, to my trans identity when she was alive because to be feminine was an element of what she needed also. This statement elevated my respect for him because so much of Western society is about individualism over anything else and without any consideration for anyone else besides oneself. This societal structure is not how I grew up and it's still not something I am used to as I would never consider doing anything that would truly upset my parents or anyone else for that matter just to please myself. In that way, I related to him a lot. And it caught me by surprise because it certainly seems like artists, more than anyone else, only do things to please themselves. I am not begrudging them that, and I feel it's part of their art, but sometimes it feels more self-serving than artistic. I also respected him for expressing resistance to the hormones and operations, quote-unquote, associated with trans identity, as he said in the Guardian article, quote, I don't owe anyone scars. I'm not sure that's still how he feels, but however he moves forward, I will be watching. Another talking point about this album is that Mike Dean worked very closely on it. I've met Mike a few times in party situations, so that's the only impression I have of him. But from what Chris told me, Mike and his girlfriend slash creative director Louise, whom I've also met and liked very much, were a huge support system for him. This is what he told me. I wanted to heal. I wanted the music to save me. I was a bit insane by grief, but also ready to unleash. I don't think I could have opened up this way with just anybody. I was blessed with this coincidence of meeting Mike, someone who could let me rage, relate to music in an extreme way, and never tarnish that. It felt quite guided and appropriate. I have a hard time reconciling this Mike with the one I know, but I did love hearing it. Mike gave me some quotes for the cover story, and this is one of them, which helps me understand why he was so good in this situation. I too have suffered many personal losses in my time on this planet, and I felt a deep connecting empathy with that raw emotion. Music heals. My studio is in my house, so we make music and then eat together family style. We embraced him into the heart of our musical family. I won't let you down, will not give you up. Can I have some faith in the sound? It's the one good thing that I've got. One last thing is about Los Angeles's role in this album and in Chris's life. I came here with my parents in 1986, but for people who come here later in their lives, it's a difficult transition. The vacation Los Angeles is very different from the real life place. It can be isolating and very lonely. In this city is where Chris got the news of his mom's being on the verge of death and where he came back to in order to heal. This is what he told me. The story I have with Los Angeles is of empowerment, of finding my truth, of being myself. I love France. I love living in Paris. But for who I am becoming, for my reality as a man, for my freedom, the otherness I needed in order to be myself, I experienced it in another city. 
Paris feels like a trap. The trap of me being overexposed at 24, dysphoric. It was great, but I feel trapped in the past. The oddness of Los Angeles was perfect. I feel comfortable there because I feel like I can reinvent things. Now it looks like he'll be moving to Los Angeles. That's a snapshot of my one-time experience with Christine and the Queens. You can read the entire digital cover story at floodmagazine.com, and it is also linked at picturesoflily.com. As you might have heard or received, there's a Pictures of Lily newsletter that goes out every couple of weeks that you can subscribe to for free. For my paid subscribers, I am posting bonus newsletters that include print-only interviews from my 33-year archive. The first paid newsletter I did had the interview I did with Robert Smith of The Cure for Hits Magazine in 1997. I will link the newsletter in this podcast if you'd like to subscribe to it for free. Those who opt for a paid subscription, I will have my first interview with Noel Gallagher, which I did in December of 1995, posting soon. In our next episode, I'm going to be talking about my various experiences with the verb, especially Richard Ashcroft. From myself and my co-producer, director, editor, Lawrence Schroeder, thanks for listening. And if you have a chance to subscribe or follow the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, please do so and please rate and review. You can connect to us on picturesoflily.com and from there you can choose your preferred podcast platform or Instagram or SoundCloud or YouTube or Pandora or Amazon. You can also find the playlist for the podcast episodes on Spotify and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Pictures of Lily.